Welcome back. How's everybody doing? Our first episode, which was called Daddy Dust. We got 88 people that listened to it. 80, like 80, good. 88 of y'all listen to us. And I hope there's more for this episode. I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting excited over nothing. But no, no we really stoked. We really love y'all so much. And we love the support that we've been getting and everything. We do want to give a shout out to Leslie Hart for subscribing. That's super awesome of you. Thank you so much, Les. We love that. We also want to give a shout out to Kristen Watson for getting a birth chart done from me. Um, That was a lot of fun for me to do. You're so so supportive, Kristen. Our first little fun thing that we're going to do is called Here For It. Like it sounds. Are you here for it? Gigi Hadid and Leonardo DiCaprio. What are your thoughts, Molly? I'm honestly going to say I'm – that's all he does is date girls that are 20 years younger than him. So it's like, is anybody actually surprised? No. Like, 20-something-year-old moms I are like I honestly think they're thing. more surprised that she – Went for him. For, went for him. I mean, that's fair, but it's Leo. Leo. I'd be I'd be weak for Leo, too. He's a timeless classic. He's like Johnny Depp. I think the biggest thing that people have an issue with is the age difference, though. But, like, I pulled it up. It's 27 and 47. It's only a 20-year gap. I mean, I guess. I mean, my parents were 20 years apart, and we saw how that ended up. So. Uh, all right. So, <laughs> next topic for here for it is bring it on reboot. So, Gabrielle Union has already said that plans are in the works. Totally here for that. The inner cheerleader in me is so here for that. Mm. And that's my favorite bring it on out of all of them. Of course it is. I'm gonna, I'm I'm not here for it. I think the series should be left alone. It should have been left alone at the second one. Oh, God. Um, Two, three, four, all of them were terrible. They were awful. (laughs) They were were so bad. And I don't feel like there's a reason this many years later to do a reboot. Like, for what? All right. This episode is definitely going to be longer than last week's. But we had already said that was kind of the goal. But this week. We really want to, really want to dive into mental health. And this was a topic we wanted to talk about all along, but it's definitely something that is huge in our lives. Um, and I would say most of the time we're mentally unwell, um, but we're working towards mental wellness. And we're doing the work. We are not experts. That's our like PSA or something. I don't know. We're not. We're not experts. Yeah. Don't listen. We're not therapists. Don't take any advice from us. We're just explaining to you how it's been for us, and destigmatizing. That's a big thing to me. Is like it's not yeah. talked about enough. People think it's shameful to have mental illnesses or talk about mental illnesses, and I really just want to destigmatize that. I think that's important. We also just, through our own struggles of finding therapists, we know firsthand the lack of, and I don't even know if there is a lack of therapists because I don't want to come for therapists like that. The lack of resources to help people like us in our situations that got forced to be on Medicaid or whatever the case is due to our losses, or even if people were just low income and on Medicaid, those are the people that most likely need mental health and their resources are so hard to find. So that's another thing we want to touch on. Kind of reiterate the title of the episode is we're totally fine. Totally fine. Totally fine. Wink. We're good. We're fine. It's like Ross on Friends. We're fine. (laughs) I'm I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm totally fine. 
fine. Okay. So we kind of wanted to start out with letting you guys know what we struggle with because a lot of them are very common mental illnesses and I'm sure a lot of people can resonate with that. Um, for myself, I was actually just most recently diagnosed with BPD, which is borderline personality disorder. I've kind of suspected I've had that for a long time. You have and, talked about it. Yeah. But I actually was finally given a diagnosis and that is actually not something I can take a medication for. It just requires a lot of therapy, but I have a really good therapist, thank God, and um, I have all the faith that she's going to help me work through all that. It stems from emotional childhood neglect, so it's a little rundown on that. I also deal with inattentive ADHD. Shout out out mom and dad. Thank you. (laughs) Um, I also have Inattentive ADHD, which I was also recently diagnosed with in the last year. Upsetting. Like, that's another thing we'll talk about. It's really frustrating for me Um, because, you know, you could go look at my report cards right now from when I was a kid and it was talks too much, doesn't pay attention. Mm -hmm. And nobody paid attention to the fact that, hmm, maybe there's something going on here. Like, I was 31 years old when I was diagnosed with ADHD. And that's a big problem. That needs to be called to more attention in schools. And I don't know how it is now. I can't honestly attest to that because my kids aren't in full school age. But I, I'm on that same page. Like, I, it took me years of telling my mom, I'm listening in class. I, ju- I'm, I don't remember. I, I'm not – it's not clicking, like – it was a struggle. And it really messes with your brain. It does. It's like, like, it makes you, with me? yeah, it makes you feel like, am I dumb? Like, I can't retain this information. Like, I'm what's hearing what me? she's saying. And, and so in my case, I wasn't a good student. I ended up dropping out halfway through my junior year. And I firmly believe that if someone had paid closer attention, my life could have gone in a, in a very different direction. For the others, I have um, major depressive disorder, which I've had since I was a teenager, um, along with generalized anxiety disorder. Panic disorder and CPTSD uh, are fairly new. They happened after Mason's dad died. Um, I was diagnosed first with the panic disorder due to I have something called nocturnal panic attacks, which aren't as well known as like your regular run-of-the-mill panic attack i have them in my sleep and they usually wake me from my sleep that's not a fun way to wake up by the way it really sucks and then cptsd which is just complex ptsd and even that one i'm still struggling to kind of understand and know what those triggers are for the ptsd so i'm still i'm still learning a little bit about those but for me that's that's what i got for now for me nina I don't know why I said my name. It's the other me. <clears throat> the other me. I'm the other undead girl. I have had ADHD inattentive for years. I have worked um, really hard to get off the medication or, or to get on as little medication as possible. Um, that has been a struggle. I think the hardest part with ADHD for me was being pregnant and still trying to function normally throughout pregnancy and throughout breastfeeding did you i guess you did, weren't diagnosed i didn't know you didn't know you had it okay so i had been on adderall for years and then got pregnant had to stop taking it all throughout 
breastfeeding, which I breastfed for a year. So that's like a, almost two years that I was off of it. It really messed with me. So I'm happy to be back on it. <laughs> I also have general <clears throat> generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, PTSD, um, and major depressive disorder. A lot of those are similar to Molly's, um, except for the fact that all of those are new to me. I also technically haven't gotten out of the clear of what they call broken heart syndrome. Talk about depressing. <laughs> that title um, literally. is literally, it's a stinker. Medical terminology for it is cardiomyopathy. And I've had several EKGs done, several scans done. I mean, everything's okay, but pretty much it adds on to my panic disorder because what broken heart syndrome or cardiomyopathy does is it mimics a heart attack. And a panic attack also mimics a heart attack. So it's hard to tell the difference between those two. And as far as as a whole, I'm fairly new to the mental health world. I've been a player in the game for a long time. She's a vet. I'm I'm for sure a rookie. Um, Which is funny because when we talk about as far as our grief, like I'm a vet compared to her being a rookie, even though we're both rookies when it comes down to it. But it's hard and it's hard to really figure out how to manage. I kind of threw this question at Molly before we recorded um, and neither of us had an answer. So I'm excited to throw it out again but molly what out of all your diagnoses do you think is the hardest one for you to manage um i'm gonna have to go with my anxiety that one's been hard for me just because anxiety comes with so many different things it comes with overthinking it comes with obsessive thoughts it comes with constant worrying it comes with you know picking of fingers or hair or nausea skin. which you nausea, hate which i hate i have a literal phobia of vomit so the second I'm nauseous like I have a panic attack so that one has just been you know it's like you feel like uh you're not in your own skin if that makes any sense it's really kind of hard to explain until you've experienced it and not have like as somebody who likes to have control over themselves not having control over your own body and brain is the most frustrating thing that there could ever possibly be. So then I get mad <laughs> mm-hmm. and that makes it worse. Mad at yourself for yeah. being the way anxious. That you are. Yeah. Oh, well, now it's your turn. What has been your most difficult to deal with thus far? Okay. I know I can't pick two. It's, it's a toss up between the PTSD and the panic. The PTSD to me is just so like, like you said, out of body, unnatural. I don't, feel safe I freak out I just it's everything but I'm also really new to it and I haven't even from what I've heard from people gotten halfway through when the flashbacks really start and stuff like that so my brain hasn't really had a full comprehension of it I I guess of those events to replay them back for me so uh shout out to my brain for that one but the panic disorder is really hard for me because I'm a logical thinker and I like a reason. I want everything to have a reason and panic attacks do not have reasons. And I've learned that. And just things as simple as like when I left my ring, not even when I lost my ring, when I left my ring, I left my ring at home one day. It had Alan's ashes in it. And like, I freaked out, texted my dad. He was like, yeah, it's at the house. You left it is right in 
the bowl next to your shower. So, like, I was, it was fine. And even though my brain was telling myself, that, like, this makes no sense. It's just a ring. It's at your house. You're good. My body was saying, no, it's not. It's not okay. And that's what I can't handle. Like, the brain and body battle constant of, like, I want to tell it myself. And I am telling myself to calm down. Everything's okay. But it doesn't want to listen. Yeah. It's the fight or flight that's, like, most exhausting to me, I think, with that. It's It's, hard. And it's my last therapist um, from when I was in Portland. She explained it to me because this – it comes from, like, literally, like, the beginnings of time when our bodies sensed that, you know, we were being either preyed upon or something of that nature. We were in danger. And our bodies had learned to – create that fight or flight that that sense of i need to get the fuck out of here and we have not evolved enough yet to have gotten rid of that so when that happens it's essentially the same thing and i think knowing that is almost more frustrating because i'm like i'm not a caveman there's not a mammoth or something that's about to eat me like i'm i'm fine i'm safe i'm okay like it's 2022 i had to think about what year it was i know you struggled (laughs) i wrote 2024 on a check the other day as if i was trying to skip time like get me the fuck out of here let's make it two more years come on yeah no i agree it's very frustrating it's a constant battle in your head it's a constant struggle and it's Um, exhausting it really is like mentally and physically and everything it just takes so much out of you to like mask every day which we will touch on more later but kind of what we wanted to talk about next is just our journey and our diagnoses in general um but also compare them together and see how they're different talk about how they're different because we want to touch you guys We touched a lot of people in our last episode that were able to reach out to us and say things like, you know, I never lost a loved one, but I have my own, my very own daddy dust and I'll never call it anything else. And like, just to be able to reach you guys in that way, we want to show every different aspect because you may not relate to me, but you relate to Molly or you may may relate to her in some, you know, more her childhood drama, not drama, trauma. Well, both. Both. You may relate more with that and not with me, but we'll get into all that and kind of let you decide for yourself. Okay, so Nina had briefly mentioned masking, and that's something I kind of want to rewind back to because we realize that that's something that is actually really important, and that's something that we do every single day, both of us. And it is terrible habit. It's really bad. Zero out of 10. <laughs> it's not good for Wouldn't you. Wouldn't recommend. It's don't, don't do it. Learn a healthier way. I'm trying to learn a healthier way we right now. We both are. Um, but with masking, it's, you know, people expect certain things of you. And, you know, when you're grieving, it's, you kind of have to put a face on that people will perceive as, oh, she's doing really good. She looks happy. She looks like she's getting better. She looks like she's feeling fine. And it's hearing it's like acting. Is even worse. Oh yeah. Hearing it like when somebody's like, oh, you look like you're doing so good. And inside you're really just like, I want to die. They'll yeah. it like it's 
it it makes it so much worse and it's also exhausting acting uh, being a completely different person 24/7 and it feels like at the end of the day you're just completely exhausted but me and Molly both have issues with unmasking and that's something we both struggle with as well yeah we mask so much day to day that even when we get a chance to not mask we mask. <laughs> it's just kind of become a part of us almost at this point. And, and it's, it's really even more of a mind fuck. Yeah. It's like, wait, who, who am, am I? <laughs> exactly. It makes you just feel like, what is, like, which one's me? Am I even the person that I'm trying to mask, like, that I'm putting the mask over? Or and am it, I the person in not. the mask? Like, I don't know. It's really hard to figure out. And I think the worst part about it, honestly, as much as I hate to say it, is that your family or the people closest to you, when they can't even see it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's for me when it it really starts to fuck with my head is when I feel like I'm masking so well that my family, my best friends, other people around me can't pick up on the fact that I'm masking and they really think I'm doing better and that's when I'm like wow I've gotten good at this yeah I don't know whether to pat myself on the back or to kick myself in the ass but I'm like yeah that it's something I learned how to do really early on um especially like with all of my other like even before losing Mason's dad I had learned in a way how to do it because I was always like trying to think of the word I was always like the problem child growing up and I learned how to kind of hide those parts of me that and you know trying to appear as normal as I could clearly I still failed but I as I got older and then you know after losing Rolo I got really good at it and I mean, I don't even think it had been a month after his death. And my dad came up and hugged me after dinner one night and said that he was so happy that I seemed to be doing so much better. And I just, I honestly, I went up to my room and I just cried because I was like, people really, like, I'm pulling it off. People really think that I'm doing okay. And I'm not. I'm drowning. it's, It's also not just that to me. It's the drowning wasn't a good word. God damn it, Molly. I just, I just thought of that. It's also not just that. It's like, what did you say after that? I don't remember. Another fun little uh, (laughs) side effect of all of our our disorders here. Um, We don't remember shit. Our short-term memory is so bad. So terrible. That I blame McLonopin. Yeah. I mean, we also are on an array of medications mostly the same ones and they're all prescribed yeah by the way Warning. all prescribed all prescribed to us we don't do anything that is not prescribed to us no and you shouldn't either because drugs are bad okay mm-hmm. what i was gonna say about when you said your dad told you that you looked like you were doing better which is a terrible thing to say anyways but i had so many people that would be like it's so good to see you smile again or it's so good you know i'm i'm so glad to see you out and about and what they didn't realize is we have no choice. It, we had that option had, taken away from us. We had that choice taken away from us. And what people also don't understand is that that hurts to hear because we don't want to be better. In my personal 
um, stance, like in my personal, you know, situation, I lost my husband. And so as much as I grieve for my kids, I grieve for our love and our marriage and me and him as much. And I constantly am being told when people see me at the store or when people see me, you know, out or when people see me, if even when people come to my workplace and they're like, you know, oh, you look like you're doing so much better. I'm so happy to see you smiling again. I, I just really want to like go back in my shell that's what it makes me want to do is just crawl back and hide because I'm like no 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 don't think I'm getting over him like I'm not over it I'm not over this like and I, I think got my mask on I just got my mask on and I think that's what like I want to take it off but you can't really say that to people because then they're gonna look at you like what are you talking about and then they're gonna think you're crazier than you actually are hence the title once again we're totally fine totally fine being asked daily how are you doing i can't tell you how many times i've been like i'm good how are you and inside i'm i'm shriveling like spongebob when he goes on the surface i'm just angry i just have a lot of rage inside me and i just want to be like how the fuck do you think i'm doing like how would you be doing if you were in my shoes like it's but that stems from my complex PTSD. I That's one of the biggest things with PTSD and especially complex PTSD is that mine goes back to trauma like way back and then trauma along the way and then trauma happening recently. And it's, it's a lot of like uh, hypervigilance. It's a lot of dissociation, which we both know a lot about um I do it a lot I can almost do it on command to the point like like I can I can tell myself to do it and it'll happen so that's definitely something I think that we both do as well mm-hmm. I mean just in general raising kids yeah like, the hardest thing is that we are like like I already mentioned me and Molly both are grieving she's grieving Rolo I'm grieving Alan And then at the same time, we have to watch our children grieve. And it's not just watching. It's grieving with them. You grieve for them. It's like grieving for a a whole giant family in this house. And it is so emotionally exhausting, but also, like, so much fun and so full of love. Like, we really, I I truly think that these kids are going to grow up, like, feeling loved and feeling... I don't know. I think they're going to have such a better sense of, like, being told they are loved and appreciated more than, like, I felt like I was necessarily. Not not that I wasn't as a child, but I just mean, like, and I know you weren't, but. (laughs) Thanks. Oh, I'm I'm just saying. (laughs) But, like, not that I wasn't. It's just the fact that, like, I'm, we really harp on that, I feel like, here. Just because we know how life, how short life is now. And also, it's like. When you're grieving and you're grieving for your children, when we say grieving for your children, we are grieving the things that they don't understand yet. The things that they haven't realized because they haven't gotten old enough yet that, you know, that their parent is going to miss out on, that they're not going to have a parent there for. And that was honestly the first thing that hit me when we lost Mason's dad was like, how do I tell him? I'm like, for the rest of his life, he's got, you know... And it's, it's a hard thing. It is. And especially, like you said, I weirdly grieve for Alan. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. Because like he's missing out. I get so upset because I'm like, he would love to see these things. Sorry for the interruption. Um, Molly heard voices. I'm just kidding. She heard sounds and she was like, somebody is definitely downstairs awake. Meaning one of the children was up out of bed. Not like a robber. (laughs) Do they even use that word anymore? A burglar? (laughs) We we were being burgled. No, we weren't. Um, I was just, it was the ghosts. (laughs) Not the Hamburglar. <laughs> Not the Hamburglar. Dude, if you fall out of that chair one more time, I swear to God. We have really unsafe chairs here in our uh, studio. We're going to talk to management about it. Yeah. Um, ASAP. Yeah. For- but, no, it was just it was just the ghosts. I I hear things all the time, and I just happened to think it was a child this time. So I'll just let Nina continue from where she was talking. All right. So what I was talking about was how weird it is to grieve for, like, I grieve for Alan. I grieve for the things that he's missing. I know what he would have gotten joy out of and things that, like, I mean, obviously when your kid's being a brat and throwing a tantrum in the middle of the store, you're not sitting there going, oh, man, I wish Alan was here for this. Like, he, you know, come on now. But when it comes to, like, just the simplest things is, like, going to school. Like, I didn't realize how hard that would be, dropping them off at school and just, like, like how much Alan would have loved to see them at school. Like just little things like that. That's what gets me. And just they don't comprehend things like that. And it's hard because I, I just remember right after Alan dying, like inside my head, I swear. And I don't mean this like I wanted to physically shake her, but I wanted to like shake Charlie and be like, what is wrong with you? Your dad just died. Like, why are you not like, yeah. Why are you not bawling? Why are you not so upset? Like, I couldn't comprehend in my brain. Like, it almost made me mad. Yeah, and it was the same. I mean, honestly, it was the same with Mason. It was like, I... Did you hear what I said? Like, yeah, I told him, and he assumed he was eaten by a shark, and he cried for about three minutes, and then asked if he could go play outside. And that just shows how much different kids process things. And even though we're dealing with stuff still day to day, like... Now that it's further into the process and it's kind of sunk in a bit more for him. I still feel like they handle it better than us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sometimes I definitely feel like they're doing way better than we are. And he's eight. So that's just kind of depressing to think about. It's it's definitely, it's different. It's definitely different grieving experiences that somebody's missing out on or going to miss out on. And forever like for the rest of their like i i agree i swear sometimes you get stuck in, i get stuck in, i swear sometimes i get stuck in my brain so much thinking about like oh my god who's gonna walk her down the aisle you know what i mean or like oh yeah. my god like graduation and like all these crazy things like life oh, alan's never gonna meet his grandkids and like just like the biggest things that i'm like why am i stressing about this why am i having anxiety about this when this is years from now mm-hmm. it's just treacherous once again zero out of ten would not recommend don't go on this journey <laughs> i wanted to kind of go over just in general my journey molly's journey our journey together to find therapist or psychiatrists that are the right fit for you. I personally have not found the perfect therapist for me. 
I think of the time that I was searching for a therapist. I I, I a little words are hard today. <laughs> Today's hard. Um, I think for the most part, when I was looking for a therapist, I don't think I knew what I was looking for. People were telling me to look for a therapist. It was so soon after Alan died. I didn't know what I needed, and they all were just treating me for grief. They were all just treating me for grief counseling. And that, to me, as bad as it sounds, was easy, the easiest out of the thousands of things that I just listed off to you guys that are wrong with me. Or not wrong with me. We accept all. Um, we're going to look at it in a positive light. <laughs> we're going to try. We try here. We mask. Um, I think that I had a really hard time with them because they all wanted to treat me for grief counseling. And that was not really the root of my problem so when I got in the psych system and like the psychiatrist was really able to fully diagnose me understand what my issues were get me on the right medications that's when things took a turn for me that's when I really felt like I was on the right path that's when I made an appointment with a therapist that was in the same organization as the psychiatrist that I love so much called not very long before my appointment and was told that there was a conflict of interest. It could have been a number of things. She could have known my name. She could have known somebody in my family or she could have known Alan. Uh, he worked at, you know, in the hospital system. So maybe she knew him. So there's tons of reasons that could have happened. But what that did is set me back. And what that did is got me discouraged. Even when you get with a therapist and you get excited to finally go see a therapist and then it's not a right fit for you, you get discouraged. And it's a normal thing to just, our friend, what did our friend call it the other day? The burnout, like therapy burnout, like psychiatrist burnout. Like you go to so many and if you can't find the right one for you, you just get so burnt out that you're like, you know what? Screw it. Yeah. Like I don't even, I don't even want to do this. Forget it. I don't want to do it. The motivation that you had that already you had to muster up so much motivation to want to even talk to a therapist instantly leaves when you get rejected or when you don't feel like that was the right fit for you. And that's the big struggle. For- so one thing that has been really helpful for us and our situation is very unique, like not a lot of people have had the experience that we have that have had you know, the opportunities that we have to be able to come together and kind of be, you know, that other partner for each other. And I do want to say that we don't take that lightly. Like we understand I constantly am being reached out to by widows um, like me and they don't have the support system that I have, that Molly has, that we have within each other. Um, and it's really heartbreaking because it makes me super grateful for what we do have. And like she said, it's not. I mean, there's a reason people ask us to do a podcast, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> we, we're not your normal circus around here. We're yeah. chaotic. It, and it is. It's it's very chaotic. You know, I went from one having one children to one children. three. One children? One child. <laughs> Just one child. <laughs> to essentially three. But it, it works for us, you know, it's we we have that that help that we have that emotional support that the other was lacking. We have that understanding that the other was lacking, especially in my case. This is one of the my biggest annoyances with mental health is not enough people understand it. Not enough people understand that there's chemicals in your brain that you literally cannot control that make you the way that you are without the use of medication and 
people will villainize you for that. They will they will not understand why you are the way you are because they haven't dealt with it or they'll just be like why are you sad you have all you have such and such so you have no reason to be sad like yeah i've got plenty of reasons to be sad but my brain's telling me to be sad because my chemicals are all fucked up so i don't know and what I you're gonna do about that i gotta be honest though um i was one of those people alan struggled with mental health and mainly just anxiety. And his was like general anxiety and social anxiety. He had a lot of anxiety. He did not like to talk to people. But he was a brilliant-minded person. I can't even explain it. And he would open up to his friends and family. And he was just a great time. But when he would have those spells of anxiety, since I hadn't been through it, I can't explain to you how many times, and I regret it daily, I can't tell you how many times I said to him, like, I don't understand. Like, why can you, can you just get up so we can go? Like, or why are you sleeping at a family function? Like, what, what, like, I just couldn't understand it because I hadn't been through there, through that path. I hadn't been, you know, on that I journey. I been through them there woods. <laughs> I have been there woods. But sadly, it's the case. And I, like I said, every single day I think about it. Like, why couldn't I have picked up a book of anxiety for beginners or loving someone with anxiety i know for dummies (laughs) i know that there is a book out there somewhere like that like and i could have done that for my husband so i preach to everybody that if you have someone around you whether it's adhd whether it's anxiety whether it's depression whether it's anything any kind of mental health just do a google search learn about it yeah learn a little bit It'll definitely give you insight on to why the way they are the way they are and why they handle things the way they are and why they might be really angry for absolutely no reason sometimes. And let's be clear. We're not having anxiety because we have a big test coming up. Like we're not having anxiety because we are interviewing for a new job. This is real life shit. This is real life anxiety. This is real life panic attacks. This is real stuff that we deal with and it's not an easy fix there is no just calm down there is no you know it'll be okay i have not been proven that yet yeah um they keep telling me that they keep telling me it's gonna be you'll be be okay it's gonna get better it'll get better everybody tells us that it'll It'll get get better i'm still waiting it'll get better i don't think it's gonna get better um talk talk (laughs) <laughs> We're just sitting here, like, waiting, looking at our watches. Like, is it is it time yet? We don't even have When does watches. it happen? I don't even know how to read a watch. All right. Since we just did our similarities, um, I think it's also important to touch on how we're different um, in certain aspects. And a lot of that has to do with just the fact that Molly's trauma and Molly's, well, Molly's original trauma and original anxiety came from a young age, came from her childhood. I don't have as much of that stemming from childhood as I do from the death of my husband. Um, So that we differ in that aspect. Um, But also, you know, she had explained that she has complex PTSD. I don't think I've really been told I have anything except regular PTSD. The difference in our grief journeys, at least, is I was... The one that found Alan. Um, I never really touched on how Alan passed, but Alan had taken a medication that is taken by three point 
some million people in the USA that he's prescribed. Um, that was he, that he was prescribed. Um, took no more than he was prescribed. And although it, you know, is told not to drink on the medication, you're not told that when you mix Zoloft and alcohol, it almost I don't know the exact science, but it, it almost doubles the amount of alcohol you're drinking. So say you're drinking one glass of wine, um, you're really having two. And that lowers your tolerance. And it, it gives you more serotonin. Sent him into serotonin syndrome. Um, he was sleeping, so it was very peaceful. He didn't um, have any struggle at all. He just um, passed in his sleep. Respiratory depression is the actual cause um, due to multiple substances, meaning alcohol and the Zoloft. But I was there for that. I was the first one that found him. Um, me and his best friend took over from there, and then EMS took over from there. So I have a lot of my PTSD revolving around that night, revolving around those experiences, and revolving around finding out that they weren't able to get him back. I had so much hope that they were going to be able to get him back and they weren't. But that doesn't change the difference in how me and Molly grieved. It just was that she was not there for the incidents that happened in Puerto, Puerto Rico. Rico. Sorry. But that phone call that she received was 100% just as painful as that EMT that came downstairs and told me they couldn't do anything. Yeah. I was initially the first contact as well after he passed meaning I had to contact other people and that was one of the hardest things I think I've ever had to do and that's definitely something that that's one big trigger for me is uh like phone calls like Mm -hmm. I am constantly and especially because I also lost my stepbrother in April of this year and found out from a phone call and found out from a phone call that he had passed uh, it now it's like every time I, the phone rings I automatically that's where my brain goes something happened somebody died what's what is it and you know that's how it kind of links back to PTSD it's different but it's the same for us yeah um yeah I don't think I'm gonna sneeze again she just sneezed the cutest little sneeze it really wasn't cute it was really aggressive i my allergies have been kicking my ass lately that's just me readjusting to the East Coast and everything. It's been a bitch. Um, back to the therapist's thing. So in Nina's case, you know, she's fairly new to the uh, the therapist game. Uh, meanwhile, I have a gold medal in how many therapists I've seen over the years. My mom started trying to put me in one after my parents' divorce, and that lasted like two seconds. And I've just been in and out of the system since then, pretty much. I've, I don't even, I can't tell you how many therapists I've seen. And I've, I've taken grippy sock vacations. I went and stayed in the psych ward a couple times. And honestly, I wouldn't, I mean, I don't know anybody personally that has had a good experience in one of those places. I was pretty much just drugged the entire time and then given a bunch of prescriptions that didn't work for me or my body or my lifestyle or anything. So it was a really unhelpful experience. I didn't finally find a therapist that I really vibed with and liked and didn't want to just focus on my grief when I first, when I moved to Oregon. Um, 
right before I moved, I had started seeing this girl and she was awesome. And I was really sad that I had to, to leave her, but she obviously couldn't practice in North Carolina. So when I got here, I obviously, you know, got me and Mason on Medicaid and started looking and it's taken up until now. I've been here since June and it has taken up until now for me to find somebody that was accepting patients because it's either they take Medicaid and they're not accepting patients or months they just don't take Medicaid or they for kids they only see kids a certain age or older and Mason's age isn't included I still haven't found one for him yet and it's hard for me to find one for Charlie because I she's four and at the time when I was really looking she was three and people were like, oh, it's five and up or six and up. And I was like, well, who's who's going to help me with these questions? Who's going to help me answer these questions for my daughter? I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Like, I needed help. Even your family and friends don't know what to tell you to say what to do. And you need somebody who's licensed. And when it's really difficult to find, it makes life really shitty. Yeah. I just recently did, though, find a really great therapist and I'm really excited about it um I've only had two appointments with her but she didn't just solely focus on my grief she was like we we're gonna start from the beginning like we're gonna we're gonna start from the the bare bones of the situation which is what you needed which is definitely what I need I need to get to the root of everything before I can treat anything that's going on in my life currently I got to start from literally the ground up but I'm looking forward to it because I I need it I definitely think I need there's definitely some habits I need to change some learned traits that I need to change some ways of thinking about myself that I need to change and all of that comes with finding a therapist that is the right fit for you and sometimes you just kind of got to hop around you gotta gotta be a little therapist slut and see just as many as you can until you find one that works and don't feel bad about it I think that's one thing I struggled with too and I had luckily my brother-in-law is a therapist he he doesn't see me but he was able to tell me like you're not gonna hurt their feelings like because I would I would lead therapist on because I was like I don't want to break up with them like I don't want them to think they're a bad therapist but it's just not working for me and I think you have to be able to do that it's very important we're gonna do our you always do it while I'm talking. I know. They love to hear the shuffle, though. A lot of people said they liked the shuffle last time. So we're going to do our tarot card pull of the week. Hopefully this will leave you with either a good message or a meaningful message or something to go off on on a good note. But cards sometimes slap you in the ass. So we'll see. Sometimes they're not always nice. Sometimes they don't always play nice. So let's see what we got this week. So this week we have the Knight of Swords. Traditionally, this card portrays the restless mind aroused by thought of offense and defense, storming around searching for a target to pounce on. He often has a chip on his shoulder with a hostile attitude. His usual method is to look for someone to blame for his irritation. He may assign himself the job of correcting the offender. Jumping easily to conclusions, he shoots first ask questions later, and is therefore often guilty of overkill. That is not to say that he does not have his heroic side. A single-minded combativeness can have its value. However, 
Even when he is doing the right thing, he is likely to be doing it for the wrong reasons. Advice for this card is to deeply question your motives for what you are thinking about doing. Forethought will assist you in discriminating between righteous and unrighteous causes. Control any traces of impulsive judgment. That's a good one. That's a card that I feel like everybody should be able to relate to in some way. Yeah, I know some of it sounds a lot like that. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot. But, like, don't jump to conclusions. Use your mind. Clear-minded. <laughs> we literally both we wanted to say something at the same time. Oh, my gosh. One time, I completely got my words mixed up. Instead of saying, I'd like to place an order for pickup... I said, I'd like to pick an order for place up. And I like was laughing so hard that I couldn't even place the order. I had to hang up on them. It was terrible. 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 <laughs> Anyways, um, I think it's time for us to go to bed. So that's going to conclude episode two. We're totally fine. Um, We're not totally fine, but we are totally fine. And, and if you're not totally fine, it's okay. That's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Reach out to us, though, for real. I yeah. mean, we are here. We didn't just start this podcast just to talk to a microphone. Um, we are here to hear you out. And we, you know. We want to talk to you guys. So, I mean, you can find us on Two Undead Girls on TikTok, on Instagram. Uh, you can email us. Our link is in our link tree. Whatever you want to do. I mean, we're very easily accessible people. Um, um, we are available officially on Spotify on Apple Podcast and on Anchor FM. We are super excited for this platform and we don't take it lightly. We want to hear from you guys. We want to uh, we'd love for y'all to, you know, check in with us and like let us know how your mental health is doing. Just a little mental health check-in. I'm expecting to hear it from some of you guys. Yeah. And if you want a shout out or something, like if there's something you want us to say on your behalf, we do that too. Also, like Leslie Harp did um, you can subscribe to our podcast. You can also donate if you'd like. We love you guys so much. What do we say? Stand, Stand dead. dead.